I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. Tonight we have a special guest, Nat Lawrence, uh, head coach of the Wellington Phoenix women's team. Welcome to the pod. Thank you, guys. Good to be here. I'm excited. I've uh, listened to a few of your podcasts, so um, I'm pretty excited to be on here. Well, that is dangerous. In our stats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Nat, uh, when uh, can you talk us through when you first decided actually coaching is for me? And how you got to hear from there? Yeah, like how long have you got? My story is pretty crazy. Um, I suppose I first started coaching when I was pretty young. Um, like growing up in the UK, you work out pretty quickly whether you're going to be like a good footballer or not um, and whether you're going to get a chance uh, to kind of progress further. And I suppose like back in the kind of early 2000s, uh, there wasn't, necessarily the most amazing pathway for female players so I just started helping out with the team that I played for um, and I just decided that like actually I can do like a fairly good job of this I feel like I know what the players want and I'd always got the travel bug I'd always wanted to go places and I'd always had when I was younger like the states 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 go to the states so I moved there and got my first coaching, my first full-time coaching role in the States, which was incredible. And that was 18 months of like very quick learning. I was working with mixed teams, with just boys teams, with girls teams. It was with young players, with old players. And then I was like, this is cool. Like I love football and I was never good enough to play it, but this is something that I can do long-term. So moved back to the UK, did my coaching licences, worked in the FA in one of their centre of excellences at Kidderminster Harriers and did some stuff within schools and then got the travel bug back. So actually just went travelling. So travelled from the UK all across um, kind of Europe, Asia, um, all the way down to Australia. Actually got from England to Australia without flying, but that's like a probably a whole different podcast. Um, and then ended up in New Zealand on a working holiday visa where I landed a job with North Wellington and Onslow pretty quickly through Helen Mellon um, and started doing some stuff with Capital Football and from there things escalated really, really quickly to NTCs, things with New Zealand football um, before heading over to Canada where I um, uh, was working at the Vancouver Whitecaps and the Canada Soccer Under-15s before heading back here um, to do Team Wellington Youth, which was a, a good experience, and then um, FFDP under-20s and Phoenix last year. So it's been like quite a crazy whirlwind of a football life that's taken me around the world. Yeah, it seemed that uh, that craziness uh, certainly hit a bit of a peak last year. Uh <laughs> a six-week turnaround to get a professional cl- um, team set up. Uh, mm. How was that, especially that those first six weeks? That must have been pretty crazy. It was mental. There was There's living and working in chaos, 
and like kind of thriving in that and being like yeah this is like this is history making this is what we need as a country this is the missing piece and then when you sit and reflect on it that was it was hard um it was hard for the players it was hard for us but we knew that the end goal of it was worth more than anything else was worth more than us sleeping it was the fact that this was our golden ticket into the league and we needed to do whatever we could to make it work so it was chaos but we all thrived in that and um took it on as something that like we were quite honored to do at what point did you realize that i guess a woman's team was going to be a thing like did you get much sort of lead in time or was it kind of like you kind of found out when everyone else did it had been alluded to so we were pretty close the year before um in 2020 and obviously covid kind of put a dampener on a lot of things you know like so um we were pretty close and we were involved in those conversations but even when the when the team got announced there were still so many things to go through because of the partnership between New Zealand football and the Phoenix that it wasn't just like an easy process of here are coaches but we had during that kind of second big lockdown the big lockdown we had obviously there was a countrywide one but then Auckland got it pretty tough we were we were in like conversations on who might the players be but it wasn't really until that kind of six weeks before where we knew what the our coaching roles were going to be and even what the regulations were um, in terms of Kiwi and Aussie players. Um, so then we just had to act pretty quickly. And, like, we're pretty lucky that a lot of the players and maybe, as importantly, their parents kind of trusted us. Even though we didn't have a huge amount of detail, they knew that they, I think they had enough trust in us that we were going to look after their kids and and the players themselves as best as we could even though we couldn't say set in stone this is exactly what is going to happen for the season even with that all that expectation obviously the expectations were set quite low but realistically exceeded them by a a massive margin how did that feel as it went along through the season the season was crazy like when you look back at it like I see the season in a few different parts. I see part one as being game one, where whilst there was no expectation on the team to necessarily win the league or perform to finals or anything like that, when you have a group of elite athletes, also that are young, um, they they don't want to make excuses but that first game, the expectation was different. The expectation was not on the result, but the internal expectation of making history, being the first team to compete in a professional league for New Zealand um, for, what was it, uh, of the start in 11, nine of them making their professional debuts. Um nine Kiwis making their debuts professionally in a in a league, being the majority of them under the age of 20. So whilst the expectation wasn't there to for results, 
they had their own expectation on them to perform to like honor the country and honor the work that has been put in to make this team happen and honor the players before that have fought for this country to have its own professional team um so that in itself was a whole part of the season and then we had that like kind of little period where we kept losing but the from the outside you didn't really hear too much from the New Zealand media other than what you would see um on like stuff and and other things but it was like ah the phoenix they're they're playing good football they're um young and energetic and like those words young and energetic soon became like the fuel to our fire to be like don't just be young and energetic like compete um and that's what really drove us for that latter half of the season where you know like one of the turning points was that 3-2 game against Brisbane where it was like 2-1 up or 2-0 up and um saved a penalty you know, like, it's like, oh, my God, are we going to win? And they look so scared. They were petrified because it's like, oh, my God, are we going to win? And it took us a few of those near misses to do it right against Canberra. And um, I think that's like as a learning tool for these players and for us as staff, that was huge. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm just flashing back to Alyssa Winnips, uh when she scored uh, the look on her face just utter surprise and yeah. didn't know how to react. Was that was that kind of typical of the squad or just um some of the younger some of the younger girls that were just really making their first strides? I, I think it was, yeah, maybe typical of the squad as in like that young naivety towards the and that's what I think really helped us in that first game. It was like we don't know anything about Western Sydney. They don't know anything about us. No one expects anything. Let's just go out there and do what we do. And then you see, like, Alyssa score her first goal and she does that reaction. But if you watch back the goal that Jarlay scored against, was it Perth, that Alyssa threaded the ball through, her reaction's pretty the same. (laughs) So there's just, like, this pure, sheer, like, enjoyment and of like, oh my God, I've achieved something on a stage that maybe people didn't know whether I was ready for or I didn't know where I was ready for. And then you, they see that they get those accolades and that kind of drives them as well. Yeah, now, um, seeing that a lot of these, uh, well, quite a few of the players have actually been picked up by the um, Fern squad. So we've seen those, those younger players who have made a mark. Does it, uh, does it feel different to you about the way they're approaching their football? having had those accolades, having had uh, the selections come along? I think there's like quite a few different factors for that. Like I I definitely see a new professionalism in the team. I think part of that is a lot of the young players now heading into year two. I think a lot of their learning was just their ability, like just them having to develop enough to compete and that was a big learning. Um, whereas now they know that they can compete. And we've added some older faces in that help acknowledge the fact that they can compete. Um, getting acknowledgement from the ferns is huge. And um, like Yetka was with us in Costa Rica. And I think that that was massive because what that did was it like normalized Yetka as a coach to not be this 
scary ferns coach that's going to decide my future but she's like a really nice person that really cares about young kiwis and watched all of our games for the phoenix and has 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 this passion for our young players so her being there really normalized that so that when they do go into the ferns it's less scary and i also think one of the big factors is the facility we're training in so the NZCIS, like if you haven't been there, it's will probably be one of the best facilities I'll ever work in in my career. And you can already see that that adds another aspect of professionalism to the players because they have this gym, because they're around um, the men's team, that the number of them have been professionals for, for a number of years. Um, there's an expectation of like, that the facility kind of brings and you can already sense that from the players just just from what they're given you mentioned that the squad has had a number of changes uh that feeling that feeling of professionalism you mentioned uh how the um, more experienced players that are coming out back from overseas what are they bringing to the mix they, they bring a lot they bring um an air of calm about them and I think that what that experience does is like show the players that what we're doing is actually like okay, like how we're training is good and it's competitive. And, um, you know, when you have a Betsy Hassett who has over 130 caps and is just the funniest person ever and just says stupid things all the times and cracks jokes and kind of has like a really like endearing way of bringing these young players in that they just add that calmness to the chaos of being a young naive player and that's been the the biggest thing they've drove standards in training but they haven't come in and changed the the culture of a young naive team of young players that are still learning and they're still on their journey. Um, one thing I've noticed is the tra- at trainings, your team seems to really love what they're doing. They seem to be really enjoying what uh, all the sessions, whether that's, you know, even if it's fitness, they're doing it with a smile, they're doing it with, with uh, passion, which is awesome to see. How are you driving that culture and how have the new uh, recruits, I say new recruits, Betsy has, it's not exactly a new recruit, but you know what I mean? She's, uh, how, how have they fit into that and helped mould that culture? Yeah, I think like it's, it's really good kind of feedback from someone that's been in and around the sessions to, to see that. Like one of our, biggest as staff a couple of our big like values I suppose you'd call them was fun and competition I'm really lucky that I have some really good mentors in my life after Costa Rica I actually went to Canada to catch up with Emma and Bev and like Bev just said that you know like competition and training was maybe one of the biggest drivers in her winning an Olympic gold medal and when, when I look at football, like I'm just a bit of a football purist and all football should be fun. And I, I think that with fun and competition, you can still bring out youth, the principles that you want to play with. And that's kind of really drove us, especially this preseason when we've been able to just focus completely on ourselves is ensuring that the fun competitive element of training 
is within every part of every session and every staff member is um, tasked to ensure that fun and competition live within parts of their sessions that they deliver it may not be equal um, but they are big drivers for what we do and hopefully that is something that we continue on with it's also something i massively learned from going away with the ferns last year um this year sorry in june is that that competition within training elite athletes one of their biggest drivers is that they're competitive so that's kind of what we've done with some of those um uh established players from the ferns that have joined the squad uh was that a was that a hard push by you and the club to recruit them, or was were there a few putting their hands up to to make phone calls to you and see what sound you out? It was a little bit of both. Part of it was them wanting to either stay at home or be home, um, especially in if you look at the A League season, the FIFA windows that are involved in the A League season are actually in New Zealand. So it means like less travel. It means that they're here. Some of the, so they were ready. And, you know, we had to be really mindful that we were also bringing in the right people for the environment. Um, I, I think a lot of people could have expected us to make wholesale changes after last year. While there was no expectation, we still came bottom with the league. But I think that that's a lot of the players deserved another another chance and, like they really showed a lot of trust in us last year and I think that we deserve to they deserve to have that trust like reciprocated this year yeah so for for some of them it was them sounding out whether it was an option and you know when Betsy Hassett picks up the phone um Gemma was the coach at the time but I was at the Ferns when um Betsy was talking to Gemma and it was it was a no-brainer yeah, certainly with players that are that established, you certainly don't say no unless you've got a very good reason, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you talked about the, the trying to avoid these wholesale changes, but you do have quite a substantial number of changes bringing that experience in and merging the players that you've uh, had from the previous season who have been relatively successful. But it's still a quite a short pre-season for the women's mm-hmm. team. How has that kind of impacted? those merging of the two groups and the short pre-season? It's been hard. It's been really, really difficult. We have had our whole team together for one week um, and we will get them all back together three days before our first game. Um, like seven of them are away this week. Some of the ferns were in a little bit later because they'd just been to Japan. So the the pre-season's been really, really short um, and it feels short, but we've had to, like, we, we can't control that. Like, we wanted to bring more ferns in. We can't control the fact that we're going to, they're going to leave for international windows. So we we brought Claudia in, Chico, like, she's doing amazing to be involved with such a strong competition for that Matilda's under 20s. But we, we know that that's going to happen because she's a quality Australian that we could bring in. So uh, whilst it's been disjointed, it's not that it was um, unforeseen. I could be wrong on this, but is Chico the only really 
um, Australian Australian in the squad. Like I know there's a lot of tagged Australians who have come through the New Zealand system or played for the age group. Is, is, is she the only one that's sort of come in externally? And, and how have those ones sort of come into, say, a, a sort of a Kiwi culture? I said Gomez is back from last season. And whilst Brie is Kiwi Aussie, she spent all of her life in in Aussie, um, other than when she's obviously travelled. So Gomez knew the team. She was a, you know, she was a big player for us last year. So did Brie. And Chico has just like come in and she is like one of those young players that's just ready to try something new, be a bit adventurous. Like I was quite similar. Like I left home pretty young. I just wanted to kind of be somewhere else and see what the world could offer me. And she's really taken it in her stride. Um, I think it's been really nice for her that she can go back to Australia for this 10 days before our first game. And her parents are coming over quite a bit to make sure she's okay. But she's like the Mackenzie Barry of Australia. eh? Like we're pretty lucky to have her and she's just fit in to the team um, incredibly well and incredibly easily. It, that fitting in, um, you've obviously got a completely new scenario to uh, work in with last year, basically being in a camp for the entire season. Mm. Now being in New Zealand, having um, players kind of coming and going a little more readily. What ways is that easier or harder? The difficulties of losing players to camps will never be anywhere near as hard as it was last year because it was a six-month or five-month camp with COVID, training in a facility that was nice, but nothing like we are now, where they're all living together. And, and whilst we do have a lot of them living together this year, they have freedom. And, you know, like we learned so much last year and what we've been able to do is make their workload flow. So they come in at a certain time and then they leave by a certain time and they know that's going to happen each day. So it means that their life outside of football and their identity out of football can be something that they have time for. So some of them work, um, some of them will look to work, some of them really like to go on little walks, but they have time for that now and they have the ability to because COVID isn't a restriction on movement anymore. Um, and I think that no matter how many players we lose to an international camp, it will always never be as hard as last year. It's slight difference uh, to last year as well. You're now the head coach rather than the assistant. Big step up. Um, was it a surprise that Gemma left? And how are you feeling about uh, taking on for the first season? Um, ask, me, ask me in 13 days' time. Uh, not that I have a countdown or anything, match day minus 12. Yeah, like initially it was a, a bit of a surprise, you know, we were kind of planning towards the season and um, the one thing that me and Gemma always did was work really collaboratively together. So, um, you know, the, the signings we did together and uh, the planning for the season we did together, but she was really open with me. She was really honest about this opportunity that might be coming up in Wales and you can't begrudge that when you've been away from your family for so long and especially the past couple of years when you haven't even been able to see them. Um, the The contract is long-term. She gets to do her pro licence or things that can't be offered here. 
you kind of don't begrudge that. And especially having been part of last season and the plan for this season, whilst the moving into the head coach role is probably a little step outside my comfort zone, um, it definitely felt right. Like being in Wellington, I definitely consider myself a Wellingtonian. Like this is when where I first moved when I moved to New Zealand. It's where I came back to. My, I have a whole heap of friends here. We have Wellingtonians in the squad. Um, it kind of felt right. And it's challenging and it's hard, but it's also a hell of a lot of fun. And I get to do it in a place that I call home with staff that I have so much respect and trust for and players who I have loved developing over the past few years or have loved having in part of the, the squad this season. So it's kind of a bit of a like surreal, exciting time. Um, you brought out the, the staff. What drove you to Callum, particularly as your assistant when all of the change occurred? Yeah, like it's a good one. Like me going to head coach, there seems to be like this, I don't know what it is that like you almost have to have good cop, bad cop and that like the head coach needs to be this like stern, crazed, angry person. And I was like, I can't change my personality. Like I've tried. Like, <laughs> I can't change who I am. I'm always going to be somebody that is really holistic in how I see players and how I see development and how I see football purists, how I see football to be played. And what Callum brought was just a different version to that. He is incredibly knowledgeable in the game. Um, he has an incredible eye for detail with all aspects, all moments of the game. I trusted him, and that was a big one, is that when things get hard and we're in an environment where Every kind of decision you make can get scrutinised. You need your, you need trust in your staff that they're going to have your back no matter what. And whilst they feel safe enough that they can challenge, um, and they are heard, they still have your back no matter what. And I'd I'd worked with him a lot. Um, I'd seen him work. I'd seen how he operated. Quite a few of the girls knew him, and they had this automatic trust for him. I was kind of like kept saying to Dan, who is our sports scientist, like, I want a Callum. I need someone like Callum. And he was like, why don't you ask Callum then? And I was like, because there's no one more Callum than Callum. And I just, I assumed stupidly that he wouldn't want to come back because he was doing so well in the UK. But it just so turned out that the timing was perfect. And I think three or four weeks later, he's jumped on a plane. So, um, and so far he's, he's been everything I could have dreamed in an assistant and probably more. Hopefully that will continue when the pressure really starts to build when the season starts. But he's been amazing. Something that hasn't been particularly good timing is unfortunately has been the injury to Annalie Longo. Mm. Um, how disruptive has that been to your build-up? Obviously she would have been a fairly pivotal player. Yeah, she was. She, she would have been. She would have been a major, major signing for us. And um, I, I I don't know, like she hadn't been in the environment yet. She she I don't think I had been and even announced or Gemma had left at the point that she got injured. And I think that knowing Flea and 
you know, like seeing her last year prepare for the Olympics compared to seeing her in Norway and Spain, which was the tour I got to go on where it was her first tour back since um, the Olympics and seeing how vibrant she was and seeing how much she got on the ball and how happy she was to be in that environment. My kind of, I don't know whether I had, I felt like a, a woe me attitude. It was more, a, I feel absolutely devastated for her because the timing is so cruel. And that's kind of where I went to that didn't necessarily allow us to mourn the loss of her to the team, more like to feel complete. I just just felt completely gutted for her, but knew that she would have and has got the character to come back from it because I, I saw her when she came back and she was she was one of the best players at that tour and she was exciting. So uh, you've obviously got the team uh, starting to settle in now uh, and obviously you're thinking about that first game, match them um, and 12 days away. Yeah. Uh, so are you starting to uh, do a little more work for the rest of the season as well? How far ahead are you planning? Are you scouting teams already? Are you... Uh, are there teams that you're actually kind of going, these are ones we need to target or these are ones that we ne- these are ne- ones we need to look out for? Yeah, kind of in the back of our mind. Uh, but I think when you look at the A-League, um, because of how short the season is, the squads are actually really changeable. So you could have like an eye on a Western Sydney, for example, but they have made so many changes. They've changed their coaching staff. They've got Tom Samani in there. They have a whole raft of different players. Um, you also look at the guest spot players available. And, you know, now the NWSL season is finished, I'm sure we're going to see more internationals come be part of different teams in the in the coming weeks as they start to prepare for the World Cup. And especially now there's going to be games in, in New Zealand. Like, I won't be surprised if you start to see more of those players. Um, and I, I think for us, we try and work two or three weeks ahead, um, it's especially more like in the analysis department. Um, whereas for me and Callum, it's we need to focus on the game we're about to play. And then as soon as that final whistle is blown, we reflect and then prepare for the next game. So you mentioned that there's obviously players coming in uh, for those guest spots and there's that World Cup and possibly in the back of a few of their, their minds. Do you think that, obviously the players appreciate how big an event it is, do you think that Kiwis generally appreciate how big it's going to be or how big it is? I, th- I think they have an appreciation but not a full understanding and I, I think until it happens and until it's here, nobody will know. The fact that, so I, I was in Canada in 2015 and I was in France in 2019. And the fact that already it's going to be bigger just shows you like, I, I think I saw like, because the US-Netherlands game is at 2pm or something like that. I can't remember. And I saw somebody put, well, no one's going to go to that game because it's a midweek game and it's everyone's at work. And it's like, mate, this this game could be sold out like tenfold. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the rematch of the World Cup final, and it's in Wellington. 
and I don't think people fully, fully, fully understand. I, I hope those that watch the draw start to get it, and it's going to be incredible. Um, for some of the younger uh, players in the team, is it a thing uh, that they're now playing at Sky Stadium? This is the same stadium that you know the All Whites have played these big games at. That these World Cup games are going to be played at. Is that big for them? And is it big for them that that you're going to be playing so many games at the stadium as well? Yeah, it's pretty massive. Like even today, an example, tomorrow we have a familiarisation at the stadium um, and we get to train there. And like a couple of the girls like whooped in excitement because we just get to train there. Like they've, they've been there watching the men and some of them have grown up going to games there and it's you know wind stadium was nice it was a really cool stadium we were really really lucky last year that we saw such an amazing venue but there will be no place like sky stadium we've touched on this a couple of times uh expectation it's a massive word last year most fans were in the boat where you'd call it almost a free hit like we wanted the team to do well obviously and we'd support but if it didn't go so well that was also okay um but obviously that's kind of gone now because there are expectations what what is this team capable of and what are you setting of those as those expectations for this season? Yeah, I, I think the, the team has high expectations on themselves and I think they're capable of a great deal. Um, I think it would be unrealistic for us to be like bottom of the league last year, let's go win the thing, but we're going to try. Like, and this is, we have young players and we have experienced players and we're going to go in and try and win every single game and compete every single game and the kind of what we set ourselves is to stay in the race try and stay in the race as long as we can um, and even possibly that will drive us to make the finals and I think you know we've brought some experienced players in we have a year of experience under the belt of most of our players now Um so I think the expectations should be higher, but I also think from you know fans and the public, they should also be realistic. We're a highly competitive team with some very exciting young players. Um, we should enjoy watching them hopefully express themselves on the field against some really, really, really good Australian and international players. And other Kiwis, we're playing against other ferns. Our first game of the season, we've played against other ferns. So... Um, like it's exciting, it's it's pressure that is fun for us. Um, I just have a question. Uh, I'm not sure if you're if you've heard it, but the fans have dubbed the team the Wahinicks. <laughs> um, have you heard it? And what are your feelings yeah. about that one? I think it's great. We weren't sure what um, we should call ourselves last year. <laughs> um, so yeah, like um, yeah, fully fully behind it. We I also think that Nixie needs a girlfriend. Like this should be the next ploy. Wahishi Nicks or whatever. You, but, definitely need, you definitely need to feed that back. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. yeah, like, come on, get Nixie a girlfriend. This needs to be a hashtag. Yeah, Domi, Domi, you've heard it here. Jump on that. <laughs> Are we sure that Nixie isn't a girl? Oh, yeah. I assume guy. Yeah, you see, 
none of us are I'm ornithologists assume. here, so no. let alone mythical oh, ornithologists. <laughs> Apologies, Nixie. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to ask. Um, <laughs> we've, we've kind of spent a lot of time uh, talking about uh, the Nicks, uh, but we haven't kind of asked uh, questions a little bit more about you, Nat. Um, you've been in a rather rare position of being uh, not just coaching men and women, but being a female coach of men and women. What's, uh, how does it differ? What, what have you found the difference to be? One of the biggest differences I always find is females um, want to know why. They ask questions. They want to fully understand why. And it's not because they're questioning you. It's just they want to feel a bit more um, maybe part of the process or fully involved. Whereas when I was coaching the guys, I'd be like, this is what I think we should do. Um, I'd always obviously explain why, but they were just like, okay, and they do it. And then if they have a question, it's more like direct. This is my question and why. Okay, this is what I think. Okay, let's go. One thing I found really interesting when I first coached the Team Wellington Youth was um, it was actually the first time I'd ever had to coach with a whistle because they're just so they were so loud because they just they just vocalize everything and like I loved it and we're actually starting to get there a little bit now with our team um within our trainings and like holding each other to account and holding high standards females also I I find that they whilst they also need to know why they have to feel like maybe a little bit more connected to you um so I see that with Callum too it's not even a male female coach thing it's having being cared about holistically as a person to a lot of them is also um, quite a, a, a big thing. And I, I talked about this quite a lot um, when I was doing my study and I did my thesis on female footballers in New Zealand. And yeah, those were some of also the biggest kind of research-based um, thoughts as well. And anyone anyone that says it's the same has never done it. So just wrapping up, I guess, uh, we're, um, you've obviously had foot in two camps with New Zealand football and with the Knicks. You've uh, got a rare insight uh, into both of those scenarios, the World Cup and the Knicks, two huge kind of thing, groundbreaking events for New Zealand football. What are you most looking forward to across all of that? So the, the, these two, the tournament and the league, What's the thing that Nat is getting really excited about? It being here. Maybe like a cheesy, corny answer, but it's in New Zealand. It's home. Everyone's home. We are all home. Yetka's home. All the players are here. If they're not living here, then they're training here. Everything's going to be here. And I think that like as a female or a fan of female sport in New Zealand, there is nowhere better to be than here. Oh, that, that's not corny. That's awesome, actually. <laughs> cool. Uh, that's been an amazing chat. Thanks, Nat. You're um, welcome. Please Thanks come on anytime. Anytime. You just let us know. Okay, cool. We might actually take you up on that. Thanks a lot, Nat. Thank you so much. See you guys at the first game. So that was a fascinating chat with uh, Nat about the um, about everything, really. Um I gotta say, she got me with that last answer right in the feels. That had 
never actually occurred to me. Like it was probably in the back of my mind, but I never actually put those two things together. So when she said that, it was like mind blowing, you know? And Same. yeah, you're right. It was like, boof, right there. The 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 Wahenix basically playing at home for the first time and follow that up with the World Cup. Realistically, the timing couldn't be better. Like even, you know, even having it last year in New Zealand, I don't think would have been as good. I feel I feel like that. Uh, yeah, we you know in 2010 when we qualified for the Men's World Cup and the massive boost that football got at that point in time. And I don't remember that. Well, okay. Well, it did. <laughs> um, however, this feels like it could it could just dwarf that, you know, for the women's game in this country. The 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 fact that you've now got a very obvious pathway within reach of any woman playing in this country, as well as this massive goal sitting at the end, you know, where to highlight that this is you know the pinnacle of the game. That's awesome. That's huge. This this could be so so big for the sport in this country. I remember coaching twelfth um, grade girls when the World Cup hosting was announced. And even at that point, the girls were like, oh my gosh, it's going to be here. Like, how old will we be at that time? Can we go to the games by ourselves? And they were already jazzed about it then. So I can only imagine that their little minds are blown at how soon this is coming and that it actually is going to be such a huge event. I think that's a really good point. It's just just the event being here is, is massive, right? But I wonder if we're maybe a really good result or two from the women from the ferns away from you know New Zealand uh, women's football just exploding i mean we've seen it happen anytime the men qualify you see the bit, the big bump we saw it in 82 we saw it in 2010 um, and and they did okay and that bump kind of petered out but the fact that it's here and in New Zealand time so everyone can watch it live they get a couple of good results i reckon it could Things you know, New Zealand women's football could be the premier women's sport. Yeah, and I think the other thing as well is we we really haven't even seen kind of the the hype train actually start building yet. You know, it's at the moment we're in we're in football circles and we know about it, but I think average Joe blogs on the street has no idea what's coming. They they barely even are aware it's a thing, and. Once, you know, the, the kind of front page media is all about it and the international news are all over it and, you know, all of that stuff is right there in their faces every day. It's, it's going to be massive. And so I think I think you've got those the, the, the young girls who are already involved in football are getting excited, but soon it's going to be everything, you know, everyone at school's talking about and all of that as well. And it, it's going to be huge. And I think, it, it, as, as we said before, it's such amazing timing to have that piggybacking off the first A-League women's season being here as well, you know. One's going to kind of finish and it's just going to roll straight on into the, the next amazing event. So it's, it's going to be huge for women's football. It just, it, there's no way around it. It's particularly when, um, when overseas fans start coming in and you start seeing all these, you know, um, tourists who quite often wear their whatever country colour, you know, so you get the Dutch who of you know, be dressed in orange the whole time and people are like, oh, what's this? So those who haven't caught up with, haven't quite, grasp the concept will be like ah this is the next thing in town and go along you know like it's going to be you know what was that article said 20 to forty thousand americans in the in the country because of it and um, you know the dutch they travel with lots of european you know fans um travel as well so once those start you know coming into the country i think um that's when it's going to start to to snowball domestically i think that u.s dutch game man honestly that could that will sell out i just 
yeah. That's going to be sold fun. out. It's already sold it's out. Phenomenal. I All the tickets, tickets gone. Yeah. Wow. I was crazy. I was away on holiday while the tickets went on sale, so I couldn't get any. The only wow. the only ones available are the wheelchair spaces are still available. Obviously, with evidence that you are in a wheelchair. I'll break your leg, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, just I guess circling back to wrap up talking about the Wahinix. Their their first home game is in what a week and a half. I can't believe it's happening. Yeah, you're a little um a little excited about this. I'm surprisingly excited. Like I'm surprising myself at how excited I am about it. Yeah. I kind I of love that... how local it feels as well. I, I mean, maybe it's slightly different for me because when I when I first kind of started playing football, one of one of the players in our women's first team was Nat, and like that's where I first met Nat was playing club football here in Wellington. Um, and you know, so it feels like a real kind of cool completion of a circle there. Um, in terms of like, a, a, you know, a, a person who used to play women's football here in Wellington got involved in, in setting up the first professional women's team last year. And now she's coaching it here at home. And I, and, you know, there's, there's other players from my club who are going to be there and, and heaps of Kiwis. And it's, it's going to feel very much like a Kiwi team this year, which I think is really, really cool. And, um, I think that's what makes it more exciting. You know, last year there were a lot of Kiwis, but a lot of them weren't names people knew. They weren't people who had played professional football before and they were playing in Australia and it felt a bit different. This time around, even those ones who weren't known to us before the start of last season now feel like household names and we've added a bunch more household names and they're going to be playing here. It's, yeah, it feels very cool and very local. Looking at looking specifically at your uh, case, man, Michaela Robertson. <laughs> yeah, starting striker for Wellington United for so long, and now she's going to be playing for the. Yeah, I was I was genuinely thinking earlier today about I wonder whether or not um, there was any crossover between her and Nat. I actually don't know, but obviously they both played a lot of games for for Wellington United, and um, yeah, no, it's really cool. They certainly would know each other really well. Yeah. Imagine her and Clayton doing a whole lot of uh, local uh, push for the teams, both being local, both being local kids. It's just pretty cool. Yeah, Dave, you might be able to answer this this question, but on the men's side, uh, each player who gets to go to the World Cup, their club gets, I think, ten thousand dollars per day that they're away. I assume something happens on the women's side as well. So I'm guessing that means Wellington United might be in a a little space for if uh, for some money if she if she makes it to the Fern squad, or at least the the Phoenix will it themselves. Yeah, well, I, I honestly couldn't tell you what the, the money's like, but there is there is FIFA money that comes for a, from a Women's World Cup for sure. Um, and, yeah, I can't tell you the ins and outs of it. Um, but you'd imagine with, with this many uh, this many Kiwis playing in the Phoenix, there's, there's going to be some call-ups and there's going to be a lot of local players um, looking at spots in that World Cup. So I think there'll be a few clubs with their eyes on that. Can I just say it is testament to how jazzed we are about the Women's World Cup and the Knicks and women's football in general that I've been trying to wrap up for about the last five minutes and we just can't <laughs> shut up. So, yeah, that's a brilliant talk that we had with uh, Nat and a great discussion that we've had afterwards. But obviously we need to roll on and get our sleep and or record uh, the uh, pod about the men's team actually kicking the ball around and doing some good things. But that's for another pod. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, hopefully catch you next time.